Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter, and I'm here with my co-host, my lovely wife, Paige Easter. And today, we are doing another one of our Disney deep dives. Uh, today, we're talking about The Lion King. I'm so excited about this one. I used to love this movie as a kid. Uh, it's right up there with The Little Mermaid for me. I've never asked Paige, did you have a relationship with this movie as a kid? Yeah, it was one of my favorites. We, When I was growing up, we had almost all of the Disney movies on VHS, Oh, nice. Um, In those big like sleeping beauty. puffy boxes. Yeah, yeah, the big puffy boxes, exactly. Yeah. So we'll do the recap real quick, and then we'll talk about the, the themes. Again, with the purpose of understanding how do these themes line up with our human psyche, our subconscious, and what do they tell us about our, our own paths to freedom, longevity, um, the ability to express ourselves in the world. It opens right. with the circle of life. It's this beautiful ensemble. The music by Elton John is just fantastic. And we have this big ensemble, uh, the circle of life, talking about how things are born and things die and all that stuff. And then Simba's born. He's held up um, on Pride Rock. And then we jump ahead in time a little bit. And Simba's now kind of a young lion, learning the ways of being a lion and honestly kind of a brat, really. He he's like a, kind of a stereotypical prince archetype where he's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait to be king. He has a song, I just can't wait to be king, where everybody's going to have to do what I say, and I'm going to be in the spotlight all the time. And his father, Mufasa, who, you know, loves him tremendously and kind of stands for Mufasa, play, played by James Earl Jones, and JTT, the young Simba, who was the heartthrob in the 90s. Um, yeah, can we just take a second? That was like one of the few posters that I had in my room as a child. JTT, man. Yeah, that was the, that poster sold out. I'm sure back in the day. <sighs> but anyway, so we so we have um, you know Mufasa kind of is teaching Simba in the in one of the first scenes, kind of what that you own all of the the pride lands, and the pride lands are everywhere that the sunlight touches. He's very careful to say that. You don't go anywhere where there's shadow, because in the shadow, that turns out to be the elephant graveyard. So in the next scene, and he forbids him from going there, in the next scene, Uncle Scar kind of tricks Simba into going uh, into into the Pride Lands. He kind of, like, challenges him, like, well, a brave lion would do that. Only the bravest lions go there. And so you can see he's really, like, kind of wrapping Simba around his finger. Ultimately, convinces him into that. We have some rising action because there in the elephant graveyard, the hyenas approach him and they like they're going to attack, and they do attack. And then Zazu, the hornbill in the movie, but I'm I'm trying to think of what his title was. The king's advisor, right? 
Yeah. But anyway, Zazu escapes. He goes and he gets Mufasa. Mufasa comes back and defeats the hyenas soundly. Then it turns out we, we find out the hyenas are kind of working for Scar, uh, Simba's uncle. And the brother... Oh, yeah, we have a we have a scene with Mufasa and Scar where <laughs> there's a real strong tension. Scar is very dejected that Mufasa gets to be the king. And because he's second in line, he never gets to be a king. And then Simba being born makes sure that he's never going to be king because now the line will pass to Simba. And so there's a, a great resentment that's part of the rising action. We find out that it, Scar talks the hyenas into, they plan. This is where he does his, his Be Prepared song. And you, you have all these images of, you know, goose-stepping hyenas and, you know, an army mm-hmm. being built against the forces of light. Um, <clears throat> and then we go back and we see Simba and Mufasa. Mufasa is very mad at him and he's trying to explain to him, like, the whole point is that we have balance and that we have balance between the forces of nature and that's what Mufasa kind of stands for is this sort of he uses his might mm-hmm. in order to maintain and preserve the balance and the harmony. So Scar then plans this whole attack where he puts Simba in this ravine and then he causes a stampede and he convinces Mufasa to go and try. He uses his love against him. He loves Simba so much that he goes and he risks the stampede. He rescues Simba from the stampede, but in the process, he actually, he's about to climb out and Scar throws him back in. Anyway, and so then that leads to kind of our, our second act where he, he says, Simba never returned because what will everyone think? You were responsible for your father's death, like never return. He really gets inside the psychology. So Simba leaves and now Scar can become king. Simba goes into exile. He meets Timon and Pumbaa, and they're like, oh, well, if only we can train the young lion to be our friend, then we can have a predator on our side so that we don't have to be so afraid of predators anymore. And then they teach him the ways of Hakuna Matata. They teach him to eat bugs and grubs so that he doesn't, <laughs> so that he doesn't eat meerkat and warthogs. And, um, and then they train him. He becomes an adolescent in the process of uh, Hakuna Matataing with them, and, uh, which means no worries. For the rest of your days, and then um, and then Nala comes back. His childhood friend comes back. He says, "Oh, things are horrible." We then get a glimpse into what's going on back at Pride Rock, and Scar has just ruined the Pride Lands. There's no food, there's no water, and everybody's starving, and everything's bleak and burned out. And she tries to get him to come back. He says, "No." They kind of have this like little miniature love story. Can you feel Which the is love the best tonight? soundtrack of the entire movie. The that best is like song. The song. Can you feel the love tonight? It. So beautiful. And he comes back. Well, Nala kind of tells him that he should, and then he feels conflicted, and he comes into contact with Rafiki, and Rafiki, Rafiki gives him this the crazy really... Asante san, squash banana. <laughs> it means you are a baboon, and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about the that kind of little scene is Rafiki gives this lesson of like hits him in the head and he's like why did you do that and then he tries to hit him again the second time so ducks and he was like what does it matter it's in the past but actually like you learn from it so it kind of becomes this like contrast between the Akuna Matata philosophy and kind of the learning from your past past, and like having it be useful versus disregarding it so then Simba ends up going back to Pride Rock and he ends up challenging Scar. Meets his dad in a vision first. Rafiki gives him a vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Mufasa convinces him to go back. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then he goes back. He challenges Scar. He ultimately overpowers Scar. And then Scar, not only at this point has he disrupted the balance so much for the lions and the allies of Mufasa, but by kind of welcoming the hyenas in and kind of compelling the hyenas to be on his side, he's like disrupted even the balance with his relationship with them. And it ends up that in the end, the hyenas are the ones that are the demise of Scar. Yeah, because he, he says, oh, it was them. It was all them. And then mm-hmm. the forces of darkness turn against one another. Um and then we have the circle of life starts again with Simba and Nala's kid. So this is a great story. Love it. It follows classic archetypes. Um, themes that I think are are relevant and useful. One is this light versus dark and maintaining the balance. Because mm-hmm. notice mm-hmm. Mufasa doesn't go and try to exterminate the hyenas. Or he, he doesn't go into the dark lands except to save someone from the light lands who happened mm-hmm. in and is in danger. I think that's a really useful thing is that he is not about the triumph of the light over the darkness. He is about the mm-hmm. balance of light yeah. and dark. Okay. And that's the yeah. circle of life. Yeah. Something that I find really fascinating about this aspect of the story is that the way Scar interprets Mufasa's privilege is that Scar then doesn't get to have some kind of freedom. But I think that there's two things here. One is that in a way, he does get to have some freedoms that are established by kind of the balance of a natural order. But I also think that what is problematic about it is this kind of misconception that there's then some kind of a hierarchy. Because I think that what we miss out on is that we're not acknowledging that the balance needs some, that everybody have a role and everybody be living in their role and that all of the roles are equally important. And that by saying, so Scar is kind of looking at Mufasa, like, well, who are you? But like, what is it that you get to be leader when I'm actually smarter than you? And then kind of not being able to recognize how, like, <clears throat> I guess, like, ultimately we see at the end that his relationship with the hyenas is of his own creation because he's not the kind of person that has the qualities to kind of be the CEO of the show. And not everybody is suited for that role. And then there's like this jealousy that happens. And I, I get really curious about that. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I don't think Scar has any questions about why Mufasa is in charge because might is right. And he says, oh, look, when it comes to strength, I got, I'm in the shallow end of the gene pool, but he can't compete with me on intelligence. I'm the smartest one by far. But we see that because he's so absorbed in darkness, I mean, literally in the, in the intro scene we see with Scar, he's about to kill a mouse and then he eats Zazu in that first scene and Mufasa comes in and saves Zazu, Zazu but in that very first scene that we see him he's he's tried to kill two beings and so he like represents this kind of death force I mean he even hangs out in the elephant graveyard over with all the death and the hyenas who they play this like kind of scavenger predator role um Mm-hmm. Which I think is really interesting because I don't think that it's like that Scar either is a CEO or isn't a CEO because he very much has leadership capabilities. He does it, though, with people's fear. So he says, look, I brought you food. Now you owe me. And that's kind of his thing. I like brought you this zero leg, but I'm not even sure you deserve it because you couldn't even kill Simba and Nala. And so what happens and this is a really interesting trope because we see. You know, he's like raising an army. And at first I was like, oh, that's the Nazis. Like he's he's supposed to be Hitler kind of. But actually, I think it's closer to say that he is 
like the communist uprising. Like he represents the communist uprising in the Soviet Union or in China, where we're just going to kill the leaders so that we can take over and we can distribute the goods. And then we see later what happens with that, because they were only ever these scavenger predators. They were only ever taking from the, the strong. Mm -hmm. The lionesses won't hunt for them later on. That's why everybody's starving. And the lionesses are like, well, there's no game anymore. We like hunted the game out and the game isn't sticking around. There's no water. They don't actually explain why there's no water. I guess that's something spiritual. <laughs> Maybe they fouled the water or something like that. But the idea being that the main problems that are happening in society after Scar takes over is because he leads by fear rather mm -hmm. than by like balance. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's nobody to do the productive work. And this is what happened in the Soviet Union when they had the uprising. <laughs> they took down the, the most productive members of society to redistribute the wealth. And then they sent those people to die in the gulags. And then once that happened, mm -hmm. there was nobody to do the productive work. And so millions starved to death right afterwards mm -hmm. because there was nobody to provide that and that's kind of what we see that trope play out here in um in scar like he uses like oh fairness and you know come outcast of society and we'll raise you up but only on the backs of the lions and through fear and danger and so then he's not putting together a value production machine the way that Mufasa mm -hmm. was like just maintaining the value production machine. Let's make sure that all the value exists. We don't mm -hmm. overhunt, don't foul our water, that sort of thing. So I think that's mm -hmm. kind of like what what Scar and Mufasa tension exists. It's more like the kinds of CEOs, like a CEO who maintains an ecosystem as their fundamental function, mm -hmm. like a value production ecosystem versus a CEO who rules by fear and an iron fist. And like force, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that's what they're, I think that's kind of what they're talking about. Yeah. The, <clears throat> there's another theme in this movie, which is Simba truly believes this is why it gets to that state is because he truly believes that there's something fundamentally wrong with him because of something he did in the past. Mm. Like he believes I killed my dad. There's nothing I can do about that. Nobody can know that because mm. everybody will reject me and hate me. So it's easier to just run away. And never yeah. have to deal with that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we, I see that in people socially of like, well, what if I show up and people aren't willing to accept me and then I'll be rejected. And so the tendency is to like reject myself so that I don't have to face that rejection. Oh, yeah. But that is, I mean, the disaster is always just a story, right? Like we actually kind of create it by being afraid of it. Like we reject ourselves in service of having to experience rejection. And I just get really interested about kind of leading with fear and what we're able to create when we're being afraid of things versus what we're able to create when we're like, what, like what would it have been like had Simba been like, okay, I made this mistake. How can I repair? Like, how can I have a positive relationship with everybody? And then from that kind of place of possibility, start generating ideas on like how that could look and potentially move towards the thing that he wants and step away from the thing that he doesn't want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is so interesting, the way that this psychology works. Simba actually literally had no blame at all in his father's death. It, w mm -hmm. We, as the observers, can see that it was Scar led him there and told him to stay. I'm got, I've got a big surprise for you. And his only wrong, if you want to call it, is trusting his uncle Scar, who has been his uncle, mm -hmm. right? 
And then Scar mm-hmm. uses Mufasa's love to kill Mufasa <clears throat> and then pins it on Simba. But it's an interesting thing to, to recognize in the psychology. It's like because Simba has actually made mistakes in the past, he did do things that he mm-hmm. quote unquote wasn't supposed to do. He was places where he quote unquote wasn't supposed to be that his father had mm-hmm. told him not to. It was because mm-hmm. all of that had happened in the past that Scar was able to use that against him in his psychology. And that he's mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. he feels like there's something fundamentally inherently tragically flawed with him as a mm-hmm. person yeah totally. right this just is a na- the natural outcropping of that was that Mufasa died yeah totally and one of the things that stood out to us I think we even paused the movie to talk about it was this lesson of Mufasa being like hey you deliberately disobeyed me I told you to never go into the pride land and you did and they kind of have the conversation I think maybe out of a place of love because it's, sometimes it can be really uncomfortable to be hard on somebody, but it almost seemed like that kind of love moment of Mufasa being like, okay, everything's fine, actually, like, you're my son, and I love you, but, like, the lesson of what was it that allowed that to happen for you, and what are you going to do next time, what does this all mean, that the lesson was kind of cut short, and I think that that was to Simba's detriment, that then later, now he's got this feeling of, like, association between his behavior and his kind of maybe value and that mistakes is now a part of his identity and that that there was an opportunity for Mufasa to like really sit in and like future praise and help Simba integrate so that he can kind of come out the other side of that with like a real lesson and not just kind of a short conversation about like that was wrong and don't do that again yeah I think this is really useful for people when we think about coaching um and when we think about transformation work in general, like the insight part, that's the part that they had. They did have this insight moment where it's like, oh, like, oh, yeah, you, you did this thing. And like, really, that's not who you want to be as a person is this doing this thing. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, the conversation was about Simba being like, it's about courage. Like, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to be courageous mm-hmm. like you. And Mufasa was like, you don't go seeking out danger. <laughs> that's not what courage is about. Courage is about showing up when it's important to show mm-hmm. up. And so they have this moment of insight where Simba kind of understands, but then what they don't do is turn around and now play it out in his future so that he can kind of see it. This is the practical component where, you know, mm-hmm. like my rule of thumb for clients is like, listen, understand that 20% of the work is going to be the insight, but then 80% of the work is really going to be practice and showing up. And how do we mm-hmm. plan for the mm-hmm. kinds of situations that are going to show up where we're going yeah. to be facing, you know, things and integrating these new lessons. And because we yeah. don't have that integration moment, mm-hmm. that that opened the door for us having this kind of long-term challenge that happened. With yeah, I, I'd be interested to hear from you, and maybe I can piggyback off of it afterwards, but I think there's a really cool opportunity in this moment to kind of illustrate what does that look like when, so if somebody's at home and they're like, okay, I had this recent insight, how do I integrate? Like, what do, what is a the process they go through to kind of integrate the change and make sure that, like, the 20% insight then feeds into the 80% of the work that's the actual practical application. Yeah, and you mentioned the future pacing, and I think that's really a useful frame. Now, I'm not going to go too far into the technical details of that right now, but I will say that basically you can take your previous experience, you can say, all right, cool, what was my learning from this experience? All right, and you can do this in any situation, whether it was quote-unquote negative or quote-unquote positive. Uh, you take the experience and you say, all right, what did I learn from this experience? And first you, you like distill, what, what did I learn? And then you say, okay, cool. Now, given that new awareness that I just had, that insight that I had, now, if I were to go back and I were to have the exact same situation happen again, what would I now do differently, knowing what I know now, 
that I didn't do the first time round that that happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And, and get really granular. Like how would I first, how would I notice that now is the time to do the thing that is my new mm -hmm. action? Because a big part of what happens is we walk around our world sort of on autopilot. We never really like wake up from autopilot until after the fact. And the tricky part is like, really, if we want to make a change in the moment, getting yourself out of autopilot so you can consciously make a choice about your actions is really useful. So we do that. We, we get really granular. We figure it out. We run that routine. We say, okay, cool. If I were to do it again, that way, the way that I now have the insight around, do I think that I would have gotten a different result? Do I think I would be more happy mm. with my, my world now? And hopefully the answer is yes. Otherwise we have some more work to do around what was the lesson. Mm -hmm. um, but if the answer is yes, cool. Now we can run that again. And we can do this thing where we say, all right, in the future, how will I use this lesson? When would I know it was time to practice again? What, can, what kinds mm -hmm. of situations can I be on the lookout for to wake myself up from my trance and make a new conscious decision based on the insight that I just had? And that's that integration piece is to start to practice it even in your mind's eye. Because a lot of these situations, like, look, Simba do, doesn't know when Scar is going to try to trick him to go into the elephant lands again. Like, you don't know mm -hmm. when that's going to happen. So you can't just like go seek it out and practice. That's not the kind of thing that you can mm -hmm. practice, but you can practice in your mind. Okay. You know, I had this experience where dad told me not to do something. Now, look, maybe part of it was him understanding why dad told him not to do that. Because it seems like that was a big mm -hmm. part of what happened there was that Simba didn't know why Mufasa had this big prohibition, but he didn't really sell Simba on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, so maybe Simba says, oh, all right, well, I'm going to ask, I'm going to figure it out and then I'm going to think about it and then I'm going to, you know, practice or whatever. But that, mm -hmm. that piece of integration can help you to become the person that mm -hmm. you want to be with the integration. Yeah. You have anything to add to that? Yeah. I, yeah. The one thing that I would add to that is, and I think this is, I'm going to make an assumption that it's relatable because it's something that I'm experiencing very deeply right now in my own personal transformations is there is this kind of taking it personally and i love that simba is a really good example of this that he becomes part of his identity like i made this mistake so i should just keep myself away from other people as a way to protect them mm -hmm. when in reality i think it can be really important to remember like you you just can't know what you don't know until you know it and so it isn't that you are a person who is flawed it is that you are a person who is in progress of becoming something better than you currently are and so keeping in mind that how disruptive the making identity meaning can be because it causes us to hide and so when we can say like oh actually this is just the the way that I've been framing it for myself recently is there are four stages of learning unconscious incompetence conscious incompetence and then eventually you become consciously competent and then unconscious incompetent and so where I'm at right now is just conscious incompetence and I don't have all of the kind of granular identified, like how, what are the sub skills? Like, how do I make sure that this doesn't happen again? How do I become really good at noticing it? And like, how do I repair when it does happen and developing all of those skills to get to conscious competence? And I just really want to encourage space for the being in the unconscious incompetence. And that that is like being able to embrace that is part of, at least for me, it's been really part of the path to kind of becoming better because um it doesn't disrupt my progress it disrupts my progress when i like go inside and i'm like oh shit here i am again this terrible person friend wife whatever mm -hmm. and i go inside and also it's just like not really a comfortable place to be hanging out 
Yeah. It's not very fun to be there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just like to encourage and, like conscious choice when it comes to that. Yeah. And you, and you called it and you said something I just want to like double click on. You said making identity meaning out of it. And I think that's really useful for me. Look, identity meaning is fluid. You, you get to like, you get to choose how you frame yourself up to yourself. Okay. That, that happens mm-hmm. in your brain. It doesn't really happen out there. You're not some kind of person versus some other kind of person, but through convention and your practiced thoughts, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> so my advocation to people, and especially people listening, if you're like on a journey of freedom, the invitation is only make positive identity meaning. Like if you make an I am statement, if you're not following that with something that feels good for you, I am confident. I am a person who can figure things out. I am able to handle whatever life throws at me. If you're not making positive identity meaning, don't make identity meaning. If you're Mm. telling a story like I am a fuck up, I am dumb, I am whatever the story is, just don't bother. (laughs) Try to Mm -hmm. try to train your thoughts into the the light, (laughs) into the light, not the darkness. Because that way we will mm-hmm. create from that place. So I, I love that mm-hmm. you mentioned that. Um, yeah. I, can we talk about Hakuna Matata for just a second? Because I think this is really interesting. Yeah. There's a really interesting dynamic that's going on with Hakuna Matata. Because Timon and Pooper are like, forget about your past. No worries. Everything's fine. And then we see that, that this creates a tension. So they want him to actually stop being who he is, which is a predator, a lion, a lion king, in fact. And they, in order to hang out with them, they're like, you got to leave that stuff behind. You can't show up these this way, this way, and this way. You have to, like, embrace the Hakuna Matata philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because, like, on the one hand, I think there's there's something really beautiful about a Hakuna Matata philosophy, meaning, like, no worries. Awesome. Yeah, no worries. Don't worry about things. But there is this tension that happens between the Hakuna Matata philosophy and personal responsibility, and taking mm-hmm. responsibility in the world because Simba has things that are really important to him. The pride lands, Nala, his mom, all the presumably other animals that he left behind. In fact, that's the reason he left them behind is because they were important to him. And this Hakuna Matata philosophy is divorcing him from that, mm-hmm. from all of these things that are important to him. And so he's not worrying about them, but he's also not caring about things in the world. And so I think there's this really interesting tension that happens because that's kind of what how we get him back is he, he, Rafiki and his father in the vision and Nala talk him into taking mm-hmm. responsibility, mm-hmm. realizing that that is his identity is to take responsibility. And so I think it's just a, this really interesting tension that happens because like, yeah, don't, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice if we all like, don't worry about things. And I think that, that is a beautiful place to be, mm-hmm. but is there a way to, cause I think the baby is getting thrown out with the bathwater. Is there a way mm-hmm. for us to not worry while still taking responsibility? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that is the journey that we can be on if we're Lion King style entrepreneurs or whatever. <laughs> totally. Yeah. On that note, since the ideas that I wrote down um, were kind of the principles of like Dharma and also this, oh, this really beautiful concept. It's like an ancient Greek concept called intellecti. And it means that everything has within it something that it is inherently meant to become. And like an acorn is meant to become a giant acorn tree it has the potential to become given is it an oak is it acorn tree yeah yeah does it really this (laughs) is new (laughs) learning for me i had no idea yeah um that's really funny so anyway this tiny thing has the capacity to become this huge thing 
and we all have something similar inside of us. And it's like, what are the nourishing criteria that allow for this tiny seed to become this huge tree? Like, what are the nourishing criteria for a human to kind of reach their potential to the biggest capacity? And I think that this kind of akuna matata and the version of it where we like throw out personal responsibility and don't worry about anything, it might be some people's ideal life to like do that, to like just have a life that's not concerned with other things. And um, but my, my sense is that probably even then, like we would still be experiencing some sense of like, there's something more that I could potentially potential. become. Yeah, some unexpressed potential. And my personal experience of that is like when I am living that way, I am like, I feel it. I feel like there's more out there for me and I feel like a dissatisfaction in my life. Um, yeah, mm. those are some thoughts that I had. I think yeah. I just, I love this. It's such a beautiful idea of intellecty of like inherently inside of us, something that wants to become. And like, what does it take to allow space for that? Like proper nourishment and sunlight and water and all the yeah. things and a whack across the head <laughs> like really because what he's doing is he the whole the reason the hakuna matata thing is so appealing to simba is because again from his perspective there's something fundamentally broken about him something fundamentally wrong it happened in the past you can't do anything about the past it happened mm -hmm. in the past and now he's broken forever because we mm -hmm. can't do anything about what happened in the past and so if we're holding yeah. some frame of reference that says that what happened in the past means something about me as a person, about my identity mm -hmm. as a person. Well, look, we're trapped mm -hmm. then because there's nothing you can yeah. do about the past. And Rafiki comes to him and he knocks him across the head and says, ow, what'd you do that for? And Rafiki says, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. He says, but it still hurts. Ah, yes, the past can still hurt us. Yes. And then he tries to sw swat him again and he dodges and he's like, oh, but we can learn from it so that we don't do that thing again. And that I think is the integration mm -hmm. moment. But that's yeah. where that's where it's like it's not enough to just experience pain. It's not enough to to divorce yourself from the past. Somehow we're it reintegrating if we want to be that higher version of ourselves. Mm. And we can't avoid the lessons in order to grow because the lessons are the way that we grow. We can't avoid the pain mm -hmm. in order to grow because the pain is the way that we grow. We can yeah. learn from our pain and then hopefully not have that same pain happen again, mm -hmm. but only if we don't divorce ourselves from the learning journey. Because I think that's part of mm -hmm. what, what gets in people's way is we don't learn our lessons when we're like, when we turn away from them. When we turn when away we, from it. Because it, it, but also the experience. Like, it's like really uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable you know? to get it's hit like, on the head. It's, yeah. It's uncomfortable. But also I think like I get curious about um, what if discomfort wasn't so bad? It's like the believing that it's discomfort is like really uncomfortable that we like, at least for me in my past has been like, oh, just like how the GTFO as fast as possible from this really uncomfortable feeling so that I can not have to experience that anymore. And I am starting to learn and like really see the benefits of like sitting with it. Just like that conversation between Simba and Mufasa, like Mufasa didn't want to berate him and be hard on him and like teach him the lesson. But also I think in a really real way, he cheated him of the potential for that lesson as like kind of an act of love, like, oh, come here, it's fine. Like everything's good. And like for the sake of, you know, making the relationship more comfortable. But I think that um, there's that's like where the growth is, is like sitting in that discomfort until meaning is made and like potential for growth. And like, what, who do I become in the future when I extrapolate these lessons? 
versus who am I now as this flawed person who made this mistake and just getting out of that feeling as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. This is a um, kind of a, an interesting thing to start to become aware of in your life. One of the things that I learned from my acupuncture schooling was that everybody wants to turn away from pain, it seems. Like, we all, like, have this tendency to, like, oh, like, take the painkiller, ignore it. Like, if your leg hurts, don't walk on it, that sort of thing. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I thought was really interesting about the model for uh, Chinese medicine is, like, you're putting needles into the body. We're actively causing some kind of, I mean, look, discomfort is just a word, but we are actively bringing some sort of focused attention with those needles. Like, where a needle goes, your mind goes to that place. Okay? And mm-hmm. that... What I learned was that I, I think that that is a fundamental part of the healing process. And the reason mm-hmm. that acupuncture works, and it does work, it's amazing what it can do for pain. And I think the reason that, that happens is because it draws the mind, and they say where the mind goes, the chi flows. So it draws your resources to that place, mm-hmm. to wherever that pain is, and we're not actually yeah. causing new damage. And so it's there repairing the old damage. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really learned and really integrated from my time in, in Chinese medicine was whenever there's pain, lean into the pain. Mm-hmm. Because that is the fastest path to healing, is leaning into the pain. Totally. I yeah. think that's a really cool principle that Rafiki teaches Simba in a very mm-hmm. beautiful short vignette. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Um, any final well, thoughts on both, this? I think all of the big things I wanted to talk about, we've been able to address. Yeah, awesome. So uh, go check it out. Listen to the Circle of Life. Listen to Hakuna Matata. Listen to Can You Feel the Love Tonight? They're all such beautiful ones. Even Be Prepared has it. It's like a unique kind of music. But love this movie. Uh, I'll return to it again and again. I think our lesson is that nobody is fundamentally broken. I think that's that's what Simba represents for us, is that nobody is fundamentally broken. There's nothing about your identity that's broken. If we're willing to integrate, learn our lessons, we can be a productive member of society. We can fulfill our intelliki, if you like, um, and really like bring ourselves to the forefront. So thanks for the conversation, Paigey. Love it. Thanks. Thanks for listening and live your freedom and love your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.